I'm Ingram Smith. He's Bud Elliott. This is the Nolcast back again for another episode. Bud, we are uh, occasionally painted as uh, as maybe pessimistic views of the program. Uh, tonight will be a lot of fun. I think there'll be a decent degree of optimism. Positive Nolcast is always the most enjoyable podcast uh, for the host and, and probably for the listeners as well. And uh, there's a whole lot of positivity swirling around this football program right now. So looking forward to jumping into it and uh, an awful lot of news on the recruiting trail that we'll start off with. Absolutely. Uh, but I do want to point out that uh, we had an episode last week and based on our analytics, a lot of y'all listened to it, but not as many as normal. And looking at it, like clearly not as many as normal. So we looked at it and we, we heard some feedback. Some of y'all did not get the episode in your podcatcher or if you did, it didn't show up as a new episode, uh, which is disappointing. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to drop that episode in the first half of this recording. Thanks to producer Justin for doing that for us. If you guys already listened to our episode last week, when, when did we drop that? Wednesday, I think it was. Uh, great. Just fast forward 48 minutes. Uh, if you haven't, then enjoy a kind of a, a double album, if you will. We will uh, jump back into our podcast tonight. Like I said, got a lot of listener questions, some uh, that are new for this week, some that we had to hold over uh, from last week, and uh, we'll just start it off from here. As always, thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. And uh, I did recently move. I was kind of doing the whole new grocery store walk around, bud, and uh, they carry the Louisiana Hot, Hotter Hot Sauce. And that is a, uh, that's strong. It is, it's not, it's still not like, you know, burn your tongue type, but it is, uh, if you want to kick it up a little bit, keep an eye out for that. Find it on the internet. It is a, uh, you know, $1.39 well spent. That is, that is an excellent use of your money. Uh, so before we get to listener questions tonight, uh, I wanted to address the transfer portal rankings. Uh, I got to write the, uh, the article on which teams did the best and uh, was happy to name the Knowles uh, one of the, what, five or six winners uh, that I named. I basically used a formula that gauged uh, quality and quantity with, obviously, since there's a million kids in the transfer portal and only 18 four-star or better rated players, um, needing to weight quality a little bit higher than quantity in, in naming the top teams. But uh, Florida State did make it. And I yeah, talked to some guys over there, and they're like, yeah, it's kind of about what we thought, right? We Wanted to get a lot of experienced college players because that's what we believe this roster needs help-wise. And uh, they seem to be pretty happy with what they got in the portal and they may not be done. So with that, uh, I don't think we need to spend a whole lot of time on the transfer rankings coming out. Mackenzie Milton, the only four-star. Uh, but FSU did have a whole lot of guys in the top 50 and uh, even more in the top 75, which is how they made uh, the top transfer rankings uh, list. So... Some questions here, man. Uh, most of these come from our Patreon members, patreon.com slash Nolcast. Appreciate you guys supporting the show. Of course, asking questions doesn't guarantee you get on the show, but uh, it certainly gets you to the front of the list as long as it's a question that we want to answer and we think it'll actually make for a good show. Let's lead it off here with Austin. This is an interesting one that, that he submitted this afternoon to us. He says, hopefully this question slash scenario makes sense to you both. With leadership set to turnover, President slash AD in the coming future. Do you think, due to the short exit of Willie Taggart and the large buyout that will be paid to the next president slash AD, uh, will be more than likely to come internally? My reasoning on this is that if you can't afford to fire Norvell, therefore 
they would need a leadership that fully believes in him as the guy. Along that line, would Coburn be a potential option for president? I'll let you have first crack on this. What, what do you think? <laughs> uh, I, you know, I don't know uh, Coburn. I don't know anybody around him. This is pure speculation. I think Coburn uh, looked at this as maybe like an 18-month caretaker project. All of a sudden, it's turned into a ridiculous hands-on uh, period where he wasn't maybe expecting it. Uh, by all accounts, Coburn has turned in an effort that is uh, for nobody that has any kind of experience as an athletic director uh, that he's done pretty damn well. I would be shocked uh, to see him involved in the president's search. Uh, if there was to be an alternative, uh, excuse me, if there was to be a interior hiring, uh, you may, and I trust me, I have asked people about this and their, their response has been, well, yeah, you know, that's something that could make sense down the road, but it's not anything that there's a formal plan for. I mean, you may, you may well have already hired your athletic director. That wouldn't shock me and uh, in, in who's running your booster group. Uh, again, I don't know that for sure, but if you were looking for an internal hire, I would think you'd see it at AD before you see it at president. I, I would agree with that. I, I just don't think the football coach has that big of a bearing on what you're going to do with, with, with the president. Like it, It's such a bigger hire in the actual scheme of, of things. So I, I, I understand Austin's sentiment here, but I just, I don't think that that's going to like factor heavily into the hire. With that in mind, I think you probably are going to tell the next president, hey, uh, Michael Alford, if it is him to you know, take over as AD, he's going to run athletics and get out of the way, right? Like, like we, we, we don't really need your help with this that much. We, we don't need you to be a TK or one of the presidents who has also sort of wanted to, you know, to play athletic director, uh, which, with both the good and the bad, you know, that comes with that. Patrick gives us our next question. Patrick, right? Hey guys, scheduled to close with Shannon and his team next week. Uh, these guys are really the best. And I'm looking forward to my t-shirt. <laughs> Thanks for recommending them. I have a couple of questions. First, how much have you grown as a college basketball fan over the past five years? Second, this is primary for Ingram. Uh, I find myself on the optimistic side of things every year around this time, only to find my dis myself disappointed once the season gets underway. So why haven't we learned from our past mistakes? What specifically makes us so optimistic? I'm uh, defining six or seven wins as optimistic for this season. Uh, what's different about this year? There's always some hope of fandom, right? I, I think that there would be some pushback. I, I think a lot of people will tell you that six wins is not very optimistic, right? If you were running a straight computer model that just basically took the last couple of years results in and then factored in recruiting rankings, I, I think that that would probably spit out a number that was less than uh, less than six wins. So maybe compared to just a, a very blind computer model, which there are very good ones out there, and on the whole, they're going to be they're going to beat humans at, proje at projecting. You know, from that perspective, I, I can see why why Patrick would, would label six win expectation as optimistic. But I, I would also note that I I don't think that maybe that projection is taking into account things like improved chemistry, actually having a some semblance of an offseason to work together, all, all those things that, that really do seem to matter, uh, at least in my opinion, they do. I don't think like, I don't think we have the reputation of being optimistic at all. Uh, if you just based on some of the feedback we get on social media, most people think we're fairly pessimistic and, and 
You know, like the feedback we got for the episode where we discussed how FSU needs to make sure that it's recruiting the kind of kid who's actually going to sign if you go, you know, five and seven, six and six, seven and five. A lot of people didn't like that. But yet I know people in the program who said that's exactly what we need to be doing because, you know, like this team has okay players, but they're not great. I, I don't know. Like, do you think we're too optimistic? Oh, no. No, <laughs> I don't think that. Uh, and I don't look, I mean, hope springs eternal, particularly in sports fans. If you can't be optimistic, then that's a tough existence. Right. Um, and it doesn't mean that, yeah, I mean, look, there's a, there's a difference between optimistic and the idea that the plan, that the, um, you know, structure is starting to be put into place. There's a greater foundation surrounding this program than there has been in seven or eight years, um, that, you know, you can win seven games this year build a class that's going to give you a chance to really make a big jump forward. And then there's the guy that looks at the schedule and says nine and three at a minimum or something like that. Right. I mean, there's, there's a difference between uh, kind of a grounded idea as to where the program's going and maybe an optimistic idea as to what's in front of it. And then there's the guy that's like, Oh, well, we're going to beat Miami, Florida. And uh, you know, I can see us drop into Clemson, Notre Dame or something like that. I mean, there's, there's a, there's lunacy and then there's the optimism of a fan. And uh, I wouldn't classify that necessarily as a mistake. That's just kind of the, the fan experience to an extent. So, Inger, let's just humor Patrick here and and say that, look, maybe six or seven wins is optimistic. I, I think seven might actually be a little bit optimistic. What are the specific things that would lead you to be optimistic? For me, I do think that the chemistry of it, the second year and really first full year in Mike Norvell's system, I think that's going to pay dividends. And I know that you're probably going to have, what, six new starters just coming from the transfer market. So like those guys are, are not going to have a, a full year in Norvell's system, but they've all been in college. They, they, they all know how to show up, how, how to lift weights, how to eat, that, that type of stuff. Like They're not having to learn how to be a college football player. They're just having to learn Mike Norvell's system or Adam Fuller's system, depending on you know what side of the ball they play. So I, I would say the the cohesiveness of the team is is a pretty big deal. Like the the second year bump in a coaching thing, typically it's it's kind of a media narrative. It doesn't always hold true, uh, but but there is something to it. Real quickly, have we become basketball fans more over the last five years? Uh, I've been a pretty big basketball fan throughout my existence, and I've certainly enjoyed kind of this 10-year run that uh, Florida State's been on, but I, I've been a, a fairly large basketball fan. And uh, I remember I... <laughs> I remember placing a call to Bud about 10 years ago or so and thinking that, hey, there's some things in place where the basketball team might really have a, a nice shot here. I didn't necessarily know that they were going to have the decade that they've had or turn into the program that they have over the last three years. But uh, no, I mean, I remember being a little lunatic, 13 years old or so, watching the uh, watching Florida State make that a Final Four run in the NIT with that team. And uh, basketball has always been a, a, something that I've really enjoyed. Absolutely, dude. All right. Uh, so let's go ahead and take our next question, which comes from Chris. Chris writes, you and Bud rightly discussed all the difficulties hip issues had due to firing Willie Taggart and then Im- immediately getting hit with the 2020 COVID situation. However, I was wondering if the dismissal of the APR requirements due to COVID and super seniors may be a silver lining since it, since it enabled Norvell to cut even more dead weight off this roster and flip the culture sooner. In short, did COVID allow Norvell to get rid of players without fear of an APR issue? 
I would propose the idea, Bud, here, and you can slap this out of, uh, of reality if, if you think it needs to be. Um, I think that we may be able to just graduate concerns about APR at this point. I mean, both because uh, of what's happened in the last year and then um, and some of the COVID changes that have had to been made. But, I mean, Florida State has taken care of its, uh, you know, of, of its, of its uh, home turf when it comes to academics over the last year. And if there was anything that Willie did uh, well and should be commended for, he, he certainly ch- changed that direction. Uh, you know, APR is really only a massive concern if you are like the worst program in the country. And Florida State has given itself um, a decent amount of, uh, you know, it's had a nice snapback to where maybe that's a subject matter where two to three years ago, I think we needed to be exceptionally concerned about and fan base needed to have in their back of the mind all the time. I think that really we may be able to just kind of leave that subject matter behind at this point. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, I, I think that you have an issue here where I, I, it, it may come back, but I do not think the NCAA is going to deal with it in, in the same way, right? Like, I, I think they'll try to rewrite the formula, play it differently somehow. So I, I would expect that this will be a different thing going forward, ultimately. And, and Florida State is, is not in the academic situation that it was uh, whatsoever. So I, I think regardless of the formula or structure that uh, for the here and now, the APR is not something necessarily that the fan base needs to be uh, ultra concerned with. All right. Uh, who do we have next? Before we get to our next question here, bud, want to thank our friend Matt Lewis and the team at Congruity. Congruity is experiencing your business optimized, highly customized HR solutions designed to enhance your brand, save time, save money, and reduce business risk. We're fortunate enough to work with Matt. Would encourage you to just give him a call, spend 10, 15 minutes, get a feel if it is a good fit for you. He can be reached at 844-247-4100 or Knowles at congruityhr.com. That's N-O-L-E-S at congruityhr.com. So Josh chimes in. He says, this comes with the caveat that improvement needs to be shown on the field, but given how the 2022 and 2023 recruiting is going, is it safe to say that our concerns of Norvell and staff as recruiters are for the most part alleviated? Hmm. Well, I think my main concerns with, with this staff recruiting wise had to do with the circumstances surrounding the, the, the COVID situation and what we know is sort of the new coach penalty in the early signing period era. I mean, w- look, we just know for a fact that it's very hard to come in as a new coach in, unless you're an internal promotion like a Cristobal, a Lincoln Riley, or um, you know, like a Ryan Day type at Ohio State. And typically those guys are are being promoted when somebody retires or when somebody moves on for, you know, for, for promotion because you don't typically hire internally if, uh, if your program is going in the wrong direction. So that wasn't really the option for, for Florida State uh, at, at the time they hired Norvell. The thing is, like the COVID thing is still going around and the dead period is still extended and I don't think it's going to be lifted anytime soon. So that, that makes it tough. Uh, I think that it's promising the start that Florida State is off to, but I, I'm just not sure how well they'll do Let's see how the season goes, right? I mean, like I, I write this this piece every single summer called Staying Power. And I take a look at, at the current recruiting standings in the summer, and I'll do it again this year in, in May or June. And 
fans really kind of get their ass over their shoulder about it because they, uh, can, can you say that still? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> you allowed to say that? I think so. I think so. The thing is like, you need to take a look at, okay, what are they this high in the rankings due to quantity, due to quality, due to some factors, uh, you know, combined, what is the season they're likely to have, et cetera. And then how good are recruiting classes typically based on, on what your record is and how many years you've been in the program, what you're selling, et cetera. I, I think this staff has some pretty damn good recruiters on it. I think Alex Atkins is a really good recruiter. I think Kenny, Kenny Dillingham is a, is a good recruiter. I think John Petrus actually is a pretty good recruiter. And like we said that we said that at the time about him because we knew he did a nice job at some of his previous stops. When, when he was hired, we, we mentioned that he was a, a, a good recruiter. The issue is just establishing relationships with these guys, which I think hiring Ryan Barto makes a whole lot of sense, right? Um, because he's maybe a, a way to jumpstart some of those relationships, especially because you don't know, you know what, what if the dead period gets extended even more? What, what if you don't get to have summer camps? I mean, then you're talking, it's been a really long time since you've been able to, to see any of these kids in person. For any of these staffs, if you ever even have, you know, it's, as a staff yourself, I and mean, we know you have it. So ultimately, answer to Josh's question, I would say, I think things are, are trending in the right direction in recruiting. I'm not really making any judgments based on the 2023. I'm not totally sure how good these kids are. I've not seen any of their 2023 commits in person with the exception of Lamont Great Jr., who I think is a good take for them. Um, but like, who knows? We, we heard rumors that some other guys were, were, were going to commit in, in the 2023 class and then they ended up not committing. So I wonder if like maybe they were told, hey, like, hold off. We've never seen you in person and we like your film, but you know, <laughs> we, we don't know if, you, if we like you that much. But they, they have some momentum right now. Uh, I think they're in a good spot. It's just, we, look, we got to see how, how this is going to go with the actual season. All right. One thing that I like seeing every morning is all these emails from Shannon in our inbox, man. And uh, shout out, by the way, to a longtime listener. We, we've, I feel like we can't do shout outs to everybody because it would take a, a really, really long time. Uh, but uh, Chris, who is a longtime follower of ours on Twitter and supporter of the show, and Bethany, they have a closing. So congrats to them. Orlando couple and uh, really, really awesome. 844-FSU-LOAN, 844-FSU-LOAN is the number you want to call to get hooked up with the legendary team. Guys, there that's that's you got to call. Awesome rates, awesome customer service. We're we're, we're closing in on 150 null cast loans to them. That's that's tremendous and like every time I talk to Shannon he's like we we got this one in the in the pipeline. We got this one. This one's going to close next week and I'm I'm super excited about it. It's he's just <laughs> it's it's so much volume. It's crazy. Yeah. It's really crazy. It's great. Uh, been a great pairing. I uh, I ordered uh, bulk in the boxes today uh, because we're sending out so much shirts. So uh, it's been a fantastic pairing, and there's a reason why as many people have have chosen to do it as they have. And certainly encourage you guys to reach out to to Shannon and just uh, take the temperature of of uh, you know what he could possibly do for you. Full disclosure: we actually recorded this late this evening because we were debating on. Uh, whether Custom Inc., the t-shirt provider, had switched up the base color of the shirts. And then we, we ultimately discovered they had not uh, because we were sending out so many shirts uh, you know, to our, our no cast loan 
customers that, uh, yeah, we have to order more shirts. So that's a good problem to have. We really appreciate you guys supporting them. Let's go, uh, let's go Michael here. He writes, uh, Hey guys, uh, thanks for giving us something to look forward to during this basketball only time of year. And thanks to all the sponsors for making it possible. Good transition there. I'm looking for your thoughts on the AJ Duffy recruitment with Duffy being a West coast guy. My concern is that he commits to our Knowles early leading to a Nico decommitment and ultimately choosing Oregon or Arizona state in the end. I don't know if I'm just, just scarred uh, or scared. I think he means scarred, but it could be scared uh, from the Sam Howell slash Luke Altmaier late flips from the past couple of years, or if this is something the staff really needs to be leery of. This is actually a pretty, pretty insightful question. I think from, from Michael, because it paints a picture, which uh, certainly could happen, right? If Nico were to see himself as the number two quarterback in this class, and I don't know, I've never met the kid in person, so I don't know what his self-esteem is like or what his opinion of his game is. Most QBs are pretty high on themselves, so I'm guessing that he thinks you know, he's pretty good. Uh, but if, the, if FSU was to get A.J. Duffy, and we covered in the last episode how uh, you know there's a lot of people that think that top four for A.J. Duffy may not include the number one team on his list, right? Ingram is currently highlighting a part of the question in our doc, and I'm not sure if I'm missing something here. No, you're not. You're not. That's that's just me being dumb. Gosh, no, no. It, it's uh, it's not dumb. I was just like, wait, is this is a great way to like signal to me that I've missed part of this question? Uh, I'm of the opinion that you're probably not going to be able to sign like two four stars or better quarterbacks in this class, just given what the program has looked like recently. Maybe I'll be wrong on that. Maybe Nico won't stay a four star. Maybe he'll be a three star. Who knows? Uh, you know, some of his passing numbers when when he got to Arizona were not too good. Some of them were were okay. I think a lot of it will depend on how he looks in the summer camp circuit and, and how he looks as a senior. If you can pull Duffy, especially if you don't think Arizona State's favorite, and I, I do think Arizona State's the favorite right now, um, even though they, they weren't in his top four, I'm sure that's something like the staff would would kind of play through the, the potential scenarios. But I don't think it's something that you really need to be worrying about too much. If he goes ahead and commits to you, you, you need to basically take it at face value unless you think he's just trying to reserve a spot, which I, I don't think he's trying to do. Always love it when I look in either the uh, Patreon responses or the email inbox and see something from Kesna. Uh, his first question is, with Gus taking over at UCF, he brings a good resume to one of the best, uh, to one of the three best G5 jobs. I know Gus wasn't the best recruiter at Auburn, but given the competition against which he will be recruiting, do you see Gus's presence at UCF slowing down our rebuild? Because at this stage, our rebuild, we are primarily recruiting against the likes of UCF, USF, et cetera, uh, not necessarily Miami, Florida, Clemson, uh, Georgia, et cetera. Um, but what do you think the impact on Gus going to USF, uh, UCF could ultimately be Florida state? Yeah. Like I, I, first of all, I think Keston's one of our most consistently excellent questioners and he sent seven today. Uh, but, but, but like this one, actually, I don't think is, I don't think this one's on the money, but I, I I put it in the doc because I thought it was good because if Keston thinks this, maybe others do as well. And so I wanted to bring this up. UCF does not recruit against Florida State at all. FSU does not recruit against UCF. They swim in different pools of, of recruited talent overall, right? That's not to say that like, they would never offer the same kid, but it's very rare that they ever go down to the, like, down to the wire to battle for a player. If Gus Malzahn is to have success at, at UCF, and I think he probably will, 
he needs to basically, and I was having a discussion with somebody who works at UCF yesterday about this. He needs to do a really good job landing the kids in that sort of 50 to 125 range in the state of Florida. That means beating out schools like Syracuse, Purdue, maybe if like Wisconsin's trying to offer the kid a, a gray shirt or something like that and, and, and wants, wants them to wait. Basically beating some lower level P5 schools in the ACC and Big Ten that come into the state of Florida and, and, and take kids. Those are the type of kids that you need to be able to get at UCF, assuming that you actually want them. When's the last time that UCF or USF beat out FSU or Florida or Miami for a kid they actually offered and legitimately wanted? Not not the nonsense where they put the hat on the table and they're like, oh, I've got an offer. And the school sold the kid for months. Hey, we don't have room for you, right? Like legitimately beat them out. I, I, it's been a long, long time. There was a, there was a DB, gosh, I, I want to say his name was Mitchell. Back in the day, that, that ended up picking USF, but that might have been like 2011-ish. I mean, it's been a long, long time. So I really don't think you need to worry about this at all. Last year, UCF signed one player from Florida in the top 125 in the state. UCF needs to out-recruit USF in the state before it takes on FSU. That's just that, That's not even on my radar as a potential concern right now. Fair enough. Uh, Kessler's other question that we included tonight is given the importance of the Tri-County area, Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach, in top-level recruiting and the staff's lack of deep relationships in the area, is it highly likely this staff can pull off a rebuild without recruiting uh, this talent-rich uh, area of the Tri-County? No, it's certainly not hi- highly likely that they can pull it off if they're not able to, uh, to recruit that area, which is why I-, I think some of the recent staff hires, including Bartow, will be a help. I mean, this is a guy who who lived down there. Like he he was in Fort Lottie, as he called it. And you know, I mean, like he's he knows everybody down there. That's kind of what you what you want. And that's what I think he'll be able to bring them. It doesn't mean you're going to win all the battles down there. If Bama comes down and wants wants a top receiver, they're probably going to get him. Uh, but I think you'll have a stronger presence down there. Certainly Miami has done a really good job in its own backyard. It's been a much better team than you've been over the last few years and it's expected to be a really good team again this year. But still, like Keston's right about this, you do need to recruit that area well, but I think they're, they're going to do better down there. That's been an area too where not being able to meet those coaches down there has, has been a problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that I have a, a whole lot more to add. I mean, you're certainly going to have to have a a network that exists throughout the state and be able to recruit South Georgia and some of the, you know, larger Metro areas that we've always talked about. Uh, but yeah, if Florida state or really any program is operating at its peak efficiency, normally it coincides with a time in which they have a strong presence and, in, in uh, you know, Broward Dade and, and maybe to a little bit of a lesser extent Palm beach. So uh, we'll be interested to watch how that develops. All right. Uh, who do we have next? Okay, back to uh, some hypotheticals. Enjoyed this. Connor asked if the Florida, if, excuse me, if the ACC expands and adds Notre Dame, who would you pick as a realistic option for the 16th team? I would personally pick the University of Houston. They come with a good football and basketball tradition and give the conference a footprint in Texas. I could see good arguments being made for Cincinnati and West Virginia as well. Connor took mine. I was going to say Houston. I think that's a pretty obvious one. Cincinnati is not a bad backup, but 
because I have a feeling you may pick Cincinnati here. Uh, I, I will go ahead and go with Houston. Houston is a very big school. It does have wealthy alumni. It has a desire to be good at football. Its president is on record as saying, we fire coaches for going nine and three here, which ultimately was probably a little bit out over her skis when she made those comments, but uh, that's her prerogative, especially if you are backed by a billionaire who also happens to own the Houston Rockets and a whole lot of casinos, et cetera. Uh, So adding them to the league, I think, would be similar to adding Louisville to the league, right? It's a school that's had a lot of football success. They are fairly decent in, in other sports, and there's no real market conflict there like if you were trying to add a USF or UCF or something like that. So Houston w- would be my pick, assuming that like they're coming from like not a school from an- another Power 5 league. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's interesting you make the Louisville uh, reference there. I think it would be very similar. Some of the uh, academic Blue Bloods may have a little bit of a, a problem with, with Houston being uh, added to that. But yeah, I, I would say Houston would be a fairly clear number one and Cincinnati would be uh, number two for me. West Virginia is in a P5 conference, but that's always, you know, I think I think the idea when West Virginia joined the the Big Ten, or excuse me, the Big 12, is that there would be uh, more eastward expansion or, or some kind of natural rivalry that uh, never really kind of came to fruition. So wouldn't shock me to see if they didn't move around in time. All right. Do you want to take a second to thank our longtime supporter and OG sponsor, Madison Social, of course, Township as well. Matt and the guys over there do an awesome job. It's your spot to go in Tallahassee for food and drink. Like upscale sports pub is, is the way we've always described it. That, that continues to work for me. By the way, on Wednesdays, if you spend 30 bucks, ask your server, you get a free BLT dip. Their BLT dip there is absolutely outrageous. Hit them up. 30 bucks for, for two, not too bad. Get a free BLT dip. Hard to beat. Absolutely. Yeah, no, whether it be the BLT dip or just the, you know, kind of experience enhancer that we always talk about. Good example of that is if you are in Tallahassee attending the Florida State basketball game tomorrow night, if you're wearing a Knowles, uh, any kind of Knowles gear, uh, I believe maybe just a shirt to be safe, uh, but your second drink is free. Again, uh, if you're wearing Knoll gear between 630 and 830 uh, tomorrow, your second drink is free. So if you're going to the basketball game, Keep them in the back of your mind, whether or not you're taking that up or any other offer. Uh, great people, great supporters of the Florida State Athletic Experience, and uh, as Bud said, a uh, driving force behind the creation of the Nolcast and uh, people that we've ever been so fortunate to have with us since day one. All right, Cass, let's get back into it. Who are we on here, John? Uh, no, uh, TJ. TJ says, to kind of bite off a question last week, what would you say are Florida State's five most important non championship games in program history. Uh, Got to love the off-season content, right? <laughs> uh, appreciate the work that you guys do. No, TJ, this is a great question. Yeah, but I mean, I'll just let you take a crack at this. There's a couple that come to mind for me, uh, but this is a, you know, this is fun stuff. And as I read it, you're thinking of more. Doesn't necessarily have to be positive either. I mean, Oh yeah. Losses actually, uh, they, they can be pretty important. Uh, so, that's a good point, dude. Um, I'll just, you know, Bud and I have always had a little bit of a different opinion on bowl games and if they matter at all. Uh, I would say that the, you know, the Notre Dame and the USC game really come to mind for me as, as bowl games that mattered and the transformation of the program and, and kind of 
allowing Jimbo both to sell success, getting internal buy-in. Uh, USC had, had you know lost in the SEC championship game, but still was a you know quality opponent, and that was at the time when the SEC was kind of at its peak of SEC ness, and that was a real big win. And then the you know Notre Dame game was just such a uh, kind of window as to what was to come, and really kind of. Uh, physical level of buy-in, guys playing with injuries, guys playing, uh, in, you know, in a, a game that really didn't matter much at all, um, but really given a whole lot to try to win that game. So those those two immediately come to mind for me. I, those are actually really good picks. I, I, I think especially you know, in the recent history of the program, the, those make a whole lot of sense. I, I'm actually going to go way back here. I, I have two, and... I had a hard time separating these. So I almost want to group them together because one put FSU on the map and then one was kind of like, whoa, uh, when like the next weekend, the whole nation was, was watching these guys. So the first one is Florida State's 18 to 14 win at Nebraska, which at the time was number three in the country. Nebraska, obviously a dominant national power historic program in 1980. I was not born. I think, a decent chunk of our listeners were not born. Probably even a smaller chunk of our listeners remember this game. They go up there and they beat Nebraska 18 to 14 in Lincoln, right? Paul Porowski gets the sack, Gary Futch as, as the fumble recovery. And that was just kind of in Florida State. That would be almost like, like USF going and winning a huge road game. Uh, I don't know, like remember 2007 when, when USF beat Auburn in Auburn? And just the, the, the absolute craziness of that season, we had a, a two-loss national champion. So to me, like that one, you can't really retrace the history of Florida State without looking at the 1980 game. But the thing is, the next week, they had to turn around and play a team that was also number three. Dude, the Pitt Panthers. Now, people might say, Pitt, yeah, whatever. But for those of y'all who don't know, back in the day, Pitt was legit. Like they were not just ranked highly because they were undefeated or whatever. They were really, really good. This was an ESPN game, nationally televised game. They put FSU on there. Obviously, you have Dan Marino for Pittsburgh. Now we're starting to go with some names here, right? So Marino's a sophomore. Uh, this Pitt team was absolutely friggin' loaded. Look at this. The entire Pitt starting offensive line started in the NFL. Mark May, Russ Grimm. Ron Sams, Rob Feta, Jimbo Covert, all NFL starters. So that's pretty impressive. They had a guy named Dan Marino playing quarterback for them, as I mentioned. All of their defensive linemen also started in the NFL. You may have heard of some of these guys. Uh, Ricky Jackson and Hugh Green. Ever heard of Hugh Green? I mean, like, yeah, obviously. He's a decent defensive player back in his day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then three defensive backs for them started in the NFL and their fullback and both of their starting receivers were NFL guys uh, as well as they actually had 23 NFL starters uh, eventually go from that team that FSU played that day and seven first round picks. So this is kind of similar level of talent to, um, to the 2013 FSU team that they were playing. This was the only game, by the way, that Pitt would lose that year. And FSU got him. It was big time. They, they, they beat him 36 to 22. Just wild. 
I mean, they, they go, go, you can go back and, and, and read about this. Like that's, that's a huge thing because, okay, the whole nation noticed FSU beat Nebraska on the road in Lincoln, but then you get your ESPN game and you don't have the letdown. Bowden got these guys up. They played up to the challenge. They beat Dan Marino at a pit team that, you know, was very potentially the best team in the country that year. Yeah, that's that's pretty big. So those would be two on my list for sure. I think Ward to Dunn is is a no doubter on this list. By the way, that 1980 defense, we don't have advanced stats for 1980 defense. If we did, I do think that that would be very much in the running for the best uh, the best defense of all time in Florida State history. Like I know we think think of 2013 as the gold standard, and it it should be at least for the seasons that we can actually measure. But I mean, if you look at the points allowed of that 1980 defense, zero to LSU, zero to Louisville, seven to East Carolina, nine to Miami. Wait, sorry, no, ten to Miami, fourteen to Nebraska. 22 to Pitt, 7 to Boston College, 3 to Memphis State. Memphis used to be called Memphis State, by the way, if you guys are wondering. Uh, 2 to Tulsa, so just safety. Uh, 7 to Virginia Tech, 13 to Florida, and then uh, 18 to Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl, and they held him under 300 yards. That was quarterback J.C. Watts, who was really, really good. So 7.7 points per game. Different scoring environment, obviously, back then, but uh, that was just an absolutely insane FSU defense there at the time. So the, the, that those two plus plus Ward to Dunn uh, would, uh, would would be on mine. I also think if you want to go negative, there's a couple you can really sort of L- look losing at. the '97 some... game in Gainesville. That is that's one that'll stick in your craw as far as being a negative, just because like you you had a national championship caliber team that year and and you didn't cash it in. I also think 2018, the the game against Virginia Tech, like that was a big one, right? I, I think that that like that turned a whole lot of people off, and and ultimately, you know, why did they fire Willie? Because a lot a lot of boosters weren't, weren't going to you know actually pay up on their pledges. Uh, we have done some <laughs> some podcasts uh, over the period of time that we've done this, bud, where I've felt ecstatic. I don't know that I've ever felt any lower than the podcast that we recorded at three ten in the morning or whatever it was. Uh, after the Virginia Tech game, I mean that was as much of a gut punch, uh, and I was in, I was in the swamp in '97, and that was uh, that was tough for me to take as well. But that I don't know that I've ever walked out of a sporting event with a bigger kind of lack of disbelief as to what I just saw and what transpired, uh, particularly after all the optimism and the atmosphere and everything else that uh, that that game had in the early phases of it. Um, just one more on the positive front and I I would I would really rank this really high 1992 Georgia Tech Florida State uh, it is one of the more influential games in program history in my opinion I'm not sure you have Ward to Dunn uh, the year following if you don't have this game it was the birth of fast break offense it was really the the first time that Charlie Ward became Charlie Ward the quarterback that we all think of uh, now it was uh, kind of monumental in the program's uh, development and a game that I would certainly put uh, in my top five, if not maybe my top three. Can't argue with that, man. That That is a, that was a fun question. Not, n- nice job there from TJ. Really appreciate that one. 
All right. So Austin asks us, hey, I, I know Bud has mentioned in previous episodes that the only area that the staff uh, was composed of non-first choice hires uh, was with, with some of the recruiting department hires. Uh, do you know if Bartow was on the short list for the first time around? Uh, also, what will comprise uh, his role on the staff? Hopefully he knows where quality left tackle is hiding. <laughs> uh, man, left tackle. That is... I don't think Ryan Bartow was their first choice because I think they wanted to hire Ernie Sims. Obviously, Ernie Sims, a, a Florida State legend who's been in the coaching game, but also uh, he wanted to be a coach. We, we kind of addressed this last time. It wasn't really, a, it didn't come from a question, but yeah. So USF ended up hiring uh, Ernie Sims to an on-field coaching position, which obviously you're, you're going to take that. If you're him, and that I think Bartow was was one of their one of their first choices after Sim, so I, I don't think that he was way down on their list. Certainly, you can go back and listen to the previous show as far as what will comprise uh, Bartow's role with the team, but it's mainly just using his contacts to to set up meetings, to introduce people, to to vouch for people, to tell tell people, "Hey, Coach Norvell is awesome. I've been a big fan of him." Blah 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 blah, or hey, like. Let's make sure that we're calling the right person to make sure this kid uh, has transportation up to camp. Not in any sort of illegal way, obviously, legal only, but you know, like, let's make sure everybody knows the dates of the FSU camps and that they, that they are prioritizing getting up to Florida State over visiting other schools that might, might be hosting events on those weekends. You're hiring Bartow because he knows who to call, and that's a big deal. Final question of the night comes from Derek. Derek says, I recently became a listener of the Cover 3 podcast via uh, the, the now since uh, <laughs> since put on ice Barton and Bud uh, pod. And I'd encourage people to listen if they're looking for another great follow college football podcast. That is the Cover 3 uh, podcast. A great listen and uh, certainly it's only been made better by Bud's uh, appearance on it. Uh, with Vanderbilt hiring Barton this offseason, and Florida State recently hired Ryan Bartow. My question is, will more coaches look to hire national recruiting directors or similar positions to help with their recruiting operations in the future? What would your personal pros and cons be as a media member potentially looking to accept a position on a Power 5 staff? Wow. Uh, so I, I would say, okay, per, pros and cons. I, I've had discussions with, with some schools before about this. Nothing really formal, just, hey, would you be interested? And the thing is, I, I would be interested. Not, not in a, a director of high school relations job. I, I think, first of all, I think Bartow is, is a strong hire for that spot. Um, but I, I would be interested if I could be the main guy. And that's the issue, right? Can you, can you get a job that is the main guy at a P5 gig? Because then you're you're making, you know, pretty good money and being able to chase your dream. For me, going to take like the director of of recruiting at even a good G five job would be a pretty big step down in terms of salary. And I couldn't do some of the other stuff I do, like like my side hustles, like like the Nolcast. I I, I probably can't be an expert witness. I, I, there's a lot of stuff that I wouldn't be able to do. I'd be really fascinated to, to take on the challenge if it was the right spot. That's why I think Barton made so much sense at Vanderbilt because he has a head coach in Clark Lee who he grew up playing ball with. And like they're really good friends for a long time. It, it, it makes it makes so much sense to go that route. And I, I told Barton, I was like, 
you have to take this. Like, there's no doubt. And, and he's like, yeah, no, there, there's, there's a doubt in my mind. It, it's, it's something I'm going to take if, if, if I get offered it. I'd be, yeah, I'd be interested, but it would have to be the right spot. And that's the thing is like, I'm 35. I'm, I'm pretty proud of where, you know, where I've worked myself to be. And yet I don't think that there's going to be a situation where, uh, like I can sell to my wife, Hey babe, I want to kind of restart what I'm doing career wise. And I'm going to go take a 70% pay cut and we're going to go move to some State very borough. small town. Yeah, exactly. Like she'd be like, uh, honey, I just don't think that's really what we need to do. Let's, let's focus on. But you'll love Southeast Georgia. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, you, you know what I mean? It's just like, like it's not, the thing is, if you're going to work your way up as a media guy to a spot where you'd actually be considered hireable, you need to make sure like the, 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 you're probably pretty entrenched as far as salary and, and where you're at with your, with your current company that you're not going to leave for just any job, right? Like you can't pay the mortgage just because you work in college football. So there, there's that element to it. There's other guys in the media who I could definitely see leaving who have very, very specific set of skills that might work really well. Um, and some of these jobs, by the way, make pretty good money. Like the head of recruiting at Mississippi State makes like 190, right? The head of recruiting at South Carolina makes like 220. That's, that's good money. I mean, obviously those guys have been doing it for a long time, uh, but the drop off to other schools is pretty severe. I mean, like even your good G5s, they make like 75, which look is not bad, but that's also your, basically your, your main and only gig. You, you really can't like, I can't do no cast if I'm all of a sudden running USF's recruiting. Right. So yeah, I, I hope that's about as transparent as I can be with that. No, that's a good look at it. I mean, that's a, that's a good idea behind, uh, both your personal perspective and, uh, you know, I, I think you know, we talked a little bit about this on last week's pod as well. I, I think this is a trend that will only continue uh, to grow and will be interesting to see kind of how this is uh, woven into uh, the traditional recruiting frame and, and how many schools uh, and what assets they have to kind of build up these uh, uh, alternate positions that, you know, let them have a little bit better ideas to how it go about the process. With that, let's go ahead and get into this thing. A little, a little recruiting talk, man. Louisiana hot sauce type hot on the recruiting trail, as always. We'll tip our hat to them. But hey, Sam McCall, big, big get. I, I almost called you about this, Bud, over the weekend. I didn't want to bother you. I think I know the answer to this. One site says six foot 180. One site says 6'3", 189. I don't see a six foot three player uh, when I look at the video, but that is a disparity that I've got to... Uh, kind of put a couple question marks on the sheet about and, and ask you. Yeah. Uh, so Sam McCall, really nice player out of Lake Gibson high school in Lakeland, Florida. Uh, other guys have gone to, well, FSU's had, had a number of players from Lake Gibson over the years. Nice program there. And McCall is an excellent player, but to your, to your first question here. Yeah. Uh, Sam McCall is six foot. He's not six foot three. I don't know where rivals got that, that number, but I do know what the photo of, Sam McCall, literally on the Under Armour measuring tape that everybody can see on his 24-7 sports profile. Uh, and he's literally six foot, not six foot three. The, the actual measuring is, or the, the measuring tape is right there. But I want to keep this positive. Composite five-star right now. I think he's, what, 36 on Rivals. He's 55 on, on 24-7 sports. Just a, a really, really solid player. And 
have we even mentioned his position? He he's a safety. He's also a guy who could potentially play receiver for you. I know he thinks he can probably play some corner. I, I think depending on how you want to use him, that's maybe a possibility. I, I don't want to judge a kid when he has still a, a full year of high school ball to go. Uh, but Sam McCall, there's a couple things that really stand out for him. First, he he's very athletic, right? And he has good size. Um, body control is plus. I think the speed is good. But he doesn't look like he's like he's not like a violent runner, if that makes sense. Like like he's not like herky jerky. It, it, it's it's almost like he would sneak up on you, you know, almost like like he's a shark. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's he's there. Athletically, or excuse me, on offense, he can catch the ball really well. I think his instincts are are, are plus. And look, he's a you know, he's an easy top 100 guy. And depending on how he plays as a senior, you know, could be in consideration for five-star status, potentially. That's a hell of a get for Florida State to, to be able to pull him. Uh, that was, I don't think anybody really saw this coming. And credit to Florida State for, for going out there, sensing there was an opening and, and pouncing on it. That's just a, a massive get. And it, um, you know, we kind of talked a couple episodes ago, maybe three episodes ago about the formula that would be needed and the importance of this class and, and how much uh, ultimately it's going to play a role in, in how successful Mike Norvell is. And uh, I, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to overcook the dinner just by how excited we are and, and jump ahead of ourselves with, with everything. But uh, my goodness, you know, this is, this is a great start gives the staff an incredible amount of momentum. Even saw, you know, kids that are committed to Miami currently talking about, uh, what Florida State's doing on the recruiting trail right now on social media, it is, uh, it's just a fun, fun time. And for a program that's, uh, that has looked for this kind of, uh, you know, sign of things to, to indicate maybe a change in the winds of, of the fortunes of the program, uh, you know, it, it, this is a, a big step uh, in that direction and, and gives the class, hey, it's not just this one Travis Hunter kid that almost seems like a video game type player, both in his ability on the field, but in his so far unwavering commitment to Florida State. Uh, and uh, you got a couple bro- uh, breaks with some legacies, but, uh, you know, you're obviously out there on the trail and your message is landing. And uh, this is this is certainly an exciting time to be a Florida State fan. Uh, and McCall has added a uh, level of legitimacy to a class that maybe wasn't quite there. Uh, a week ago or so. Ingram, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I think this does a lot for your class because McCall is another player who a lot of guys know. And you mentioned Travis Hunter. And look, let's just kind of go into how this this went down, right? I mean, we, 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 we know Woodson's been, been recruiting McCall. We, we, we know Dale's been involved. Coach Fuller's been involved. I just saw Sam McCall on um, January 24th, a, a little little over four weeks ago, five weeks ago. Sam McCall, I, I, th- I thought he was awesome, but he had decommitted from Florida literally in January when, when Torian Gray left. I talked to Sam McCall for a while. So did Blake Alderman of, of, of Gators 24-7. And guess what? He didn't mention Florida State. That's pretty impressive to pull that, right? <laughs> like, to, to, to either of us. Didn't mention him. We talked to him separately. The deal is, he was very tight with Coach Torian Gray. Torian Gray was, I think, the safety's coach for, for Florida. He's a like the guy who's probably the best recruiter in the Polk County area, you know, currently going. Well, if Torian Gray was at Florida, Sam McCall was going to be at Florida unless Bama really, you know, swooped in and, and, and put the press on him. But 
Uh, like like Chris Nee noted, Bama is kind of recruiting on its own schedule right now, like its own pace, and it's not out there chasing a lot of commits. They're they're sort of sitting back because that's what they can seemingly do right now. The three schools that he was focused on five weeks ago were South Carolina, which is where Torian Gray ended up after Florida parted ways with them. Florida, a potential recommit, and then of course Alabama, because if you look at his Twitter, it says Bama boy, and Sam and his family are from Alabama. And I know he's extremely high on the Crips Tide. So, however, Florida State did this to where they became his leader in five weeks. Like they went from not being mentioned to being his leader. And even after he had said, Yeah, Florida State's my leader, I think a lot of people didn't take it all that seriously because they're like, Okay, sure. You know, he's already decommitted once. Is he a kid who's going to decommit a lot of times? Don't know. I'm pretty sure he had zero crystal ball picks in, right? For for the Knowles, like no nobody knew this was coming. I don't even think Florida State knew this was coming. But he gets up there. We 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 see the video uh, in the in the locker room with uh, with with Gant, and that's just a big deal. FSU did a really good job recruiting him, showing him where, where he fits in their plans. And I think honestly, they showed him the love, man. Like they 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 made him like they really pressed for him and and went after him hard and and he reciprocated and that's that's a hell of a get. I think Hunter also helped quite a bit. Like like Hunter was in this kid's ear. That that kid's ridiculous. Yeah, Hunter's uh, inc- dude. I still I'm not sure he's uh, I'm not sure he's simulation. I mean he's uh he's incredibly involved over uh, social media, getting after kids. Uh, yeah, just nuts, nuts. Uh, what Travis Hunter is and and how important he's already been to this class. Um, but it's impressive the amount uh, that the, you know, the current locker room has bought into getting involved in recruiting. And to an extent, that's always the case at every program. And um, I don't want to make too much out of stuff just because, hey, you got a commitment and now all of a sudden you're turning, you know, everything rosy and wearing garden gold glasses and et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I think there's a lot of things to really be excited about. Uh, from a culture perspective as to what you're doing and uh, you know you're bringing in kids that are a big part of uh, of this turnover and again I don't want to make too much out of a out of a singular event but I mean it struck me that uh, Hunter Washington bud traveled to go see Travis Hunter at that seven on seven event that's that's not something you see all the time uh, you know those are kids that aren't in the same class per se uh, that's just impressive. Uh, you know, Texas DB traveling up to Hunter's seven, uh, seven on event. And I think there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of good things going on right now with uh, those both in the locker room uh, committed, but not yet uh, formally, uh, you know, arrived and, and part of the program or at least not, uh, you know, going through practice. And, and then those that are, but, uh, you know, commitments, it just seems like a lot of people on the same page and, a lot, uh, collective buy-in, both <laughs> both those in-house and outside, is pretty significant. All right, um, do you want to talk staying power here for for recall? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's probably something we should do just with every commitment, and and you know, again, we don't want to we don't want to ruin the uh, the excitement, but let's just have an honest conversation real quickly about you know, retention likelihood. When, what does it look like? Uh, you know, if we're going to talk about the job that they've done over the last uh, 25 to 35 days and not just getting involved in the, uh, you know, the, uh, the recruitment, but ultimately getting out uh, to a point to where you actually get a commitment from a kid. Well, to be fair, 
<clears throat> we probably need to talk about the, you know, the likelihood of retention and, and what, in your opinion, that looks like. Ingram, there's a lot we don't know, right? We don't know how well Florida State will play this year. Um, I mean, Florida State still has games that, that it has to play and, and, you know, we'll see how they do in those games. I think you and I have both agreed that, that they, if, if they want to have a successful recruiting class, that they need to get back uh, to, to a bowl game. If they want to have a really good recruiting class, like a top 10 level class, they could really help themselves by finding a way to, to win seven games. You know, if they want to just have an off the charts recruiting class, they need to find a way to win eight games. But we also don't know, I mean, look, Lakeland is a, a very contested area and FSU seems to have some good connections here with McCall that maybe it didn't have or wasn't pressing on five weeks ago when he was literally not mentioning them in interviews to multiple different people, despite the fact that he just decommitted from the Gators. But I, I, I don't think that he's as solid as like a Travis Hunter type, right? Travis Hunter grew up a big time Noel fan, family from Florida, actively recruiting for FSU for a long time, was buying in after you know a, a three win season, and it has been a real bell cow of a recruit. I think it's you know, a little bit concerning that he's already decommitted once, but then again, his coach de- you know, was let go from the Gators, his main connect there with Florida. The other factor we don't know, and like I know Chris Nee has mentioned this too, where is he on Bama's board, at what position, and how hard are, are they going to press? I think if you're a realistic person and you look at the kid's Twitter name and it says Bama Boy as his Twitter name, well, they have won about a billion national titles in, in his lifetime. So look, Florida State's got one too. They're one of the very few teams that actually have one in his lifetime, but that will, pro- I don't say probably, that will potentially matter. So we'll see. But still, a hell of a get. Like you're extremely happy to have him if you're, if you're this, this, this Knowles coaching staff right now. And I think the fact that he's close with Gant and those guys, that, that only helps. Real quickly, before we transfer out, you made a comment in passing, uh, couple minutes ago that maybe Florida State wasn't <laughs> absolutely sure this was coming down the pipeline. Uh, I'll just tell you, I don't, I don't think they do. Uh, they knew, per se. Uh, Mike Norvell was at this fairly small uh, Atlanta booster event, actually speaking to the group at the time of commitment. And uh, according to those that were there, Atkins you know, excused himself from the room to go take a phone call and then immediately talked to Mike Norvell afterwards. And, hey, the booster event got all the more... <laughs> You know, nothing makes a booster event better than getting a five-star to pop while the coach is at the dais there. Uh, but no, I, I think this did catch them a little bit by surprise and, uh, you know, only made things uh, all the more enjoyable for, for those who were hanging out, listening to talk about the future of the program. And then all of a sudden, well, hey, uh, you know, got a pretty, pretty big step in the right direction as well on the recruiting trail. So, so let me ask you this. First of all, that, that that's awesome intel right there. And uh, I'm sure that, that helped him quite a bit in fundraising. And I know we'll talk about Norvell as, as a fundraiser and, and as a politicker later on in the show. Do you get that sort of 2018, 2019 feeling with this? With the start they're off to? That's not based on anything but hype and relationships? Because there's zero product on the field to sell so far, right? Like you're coming off a three-win year. And it, it does remind me a lot of summer 2018, and summer 2019, where Florida State was entering the football season with a, what did they have, a top five class, like a number three class at one point. And then I know they had a top 10 class going into Willie's second year. They were all hyped up, and then they had to play the games. And they weren't ranked. 
And then the kids found better options. They, they, they weren't buying in after seeing the product on the field. Like if there's negative fans out there feeling that way, convince them why this is different in your mind. Cause on paper, it looks very similar. Uh, yeah. Gee, thanks bud. Uh, for that responsibility. No, I mean, I, I do think that there's a little bit different in one that it's not this general newness. And now because of COVID, a lot of times, you know, people are getting their first impression uh, of the coach and not just people like boosters, but also kids. So, uh, you know, it isn't exactly um, year two by any means. Uh, but I do think that maybe this is only something that can be said in retrospect, right, bud? And maybe this is me just trying to, uh, you know, force the situation to be better or, or have more staying power in my mind. Uh, but I say this a lot. And, and one thing that I have learned from uh, 18 is, is that when I call people in the industry, when I call friends of mine who are coaches, I really put more stock in what people say about them negative than positive. You know, people that aren't necessarily, uh, oh, he's a great guy, you know, uh, best thing you could do, blah, blah, blah. Um, and even those who don't necessarily think the world of Norvell, they do say that, uh, you know, when he builds, when he builds a program, he's exceptionally deliberate and there's pretty significant foundation there. And I do think there's a greater organization being built within the program right now. Now, does, does organization matter if you go out and get smoked 41 to three in, in week one? Does it matter if we're at week six and we're talking about a program that's, uh, especially this year, if we're at week six and we're talking about a program that's two and four, you know, one and five, whatever. Um, no, none of that will matter. But I, I do think that this is a, you know, maybe a house that's being built a little bit more, uh, not on sand, not on the idea that you're going to sign these kids just because you're Florida State, not uh, with the idea that you're going to, you know, get a defensive end coming from across the country, that you're going to beat the whole deep south for a linebacker out of Mississippi, um, you know, that you're going to get a tackle that was clearly going to Alabama the whole time just because you're Florida State. I don't see that type of blind optimism. Again, maybe that's only something that I can look at with, uh, you know, the the benefit of, of looking backwards. Uh, but I do see some things that are different and, and not necessarily a perfect comparison to a couple of years ago. I, I think that's interesting. And first of all, I, I agree with you. It's not that they went after Evan Neal. It's that they didn't really seem to have a... Oh, they banked on it. I mean, they, right. they planned on it. Yeah. Uh, a, a unwavering plan that they were going to sign that kid, which there's confidence and then there's kind of a dereliction of duty. Uh, and I... I think it was closer to the second. Like, look, if if Ja'Cory Thomas wants to jump on, even though FSU's probably only planning to take, you know, four DBs or whatever, I think you take him and then you sort it out later. If you have such a problem that you have such a good season that you're actually able to keep, you know, the, the, the February commitment of Sam McCall, awesome, cool. We'll, we'll figure, we'll, we'll, we'll sort out the numbers later. I, I think that they are, for the most part, more realistic about what their season's going to be like. And I think the messaging to the kids is also different. I would say I agree with you. I think that is probably the primary place that is different. I don't think that, for the most part, I think this staff is is not telling kids that they're going to like ball out on the field this year, right? Like they're saying, hey, this is a this is a process. You've seen the highs that Florida State can get to. But look, this staff misjudged how good this team was going to be last year, like Willie's staff did. I don't think they'll do it again. I think they'll be a little more realistic about it this year. I also, I think they're going to be a better football team because I think they got some solid to good players in the transfer portal who are going to help them just 
maintain the locker room and, and work on practice culture and, and all those sort of things that, that go unnoticed and that you know might not help a team go from 10 to 12 wins, but very well could help a team go from you know 300 winning percentage to it to a 600 or, or you know 500 or something. So that I, I agree with you. I, I think that is that's different. I, they don't seem to be wasting a lot of time on guys who they can't or can't or won't most likely get. Although, look, in hindsight, if I had said, hey, they're going after Sam McCall a lot, would you have said, yeah, well, he didn't even name them in his top three five weeks ago, <laughs> right? Or not top three, but like the three schools he was focusing on five weeks ago, didn't even talk about it. You could have may- maybe made that case. I also think that there are some guys in this class who they are chasing. And I, I had a conversation with, with, with one of the coaches this weekend. I said, look, I think this kid's going to overplay his hand and it's going to come down to you and this other school in the end because I, I don't think he's a take at some of the schools in his top five. Like, I don't think Bama's going to take this kid. I don't think Ohio State's going to take this kid. I don't think Clemson's going to take this kid. So I think it'll come down to like you and Miami or you and this other school because they'll probably hold out just like you will to, to get this kid or to get that kid. You know, there are some dudes who love the recruiting game. It doesn't mean they're bad players. In fact, I, I would do the same thing. <laughs> you know, hold out and get your get, get get all the benefits you get from from taking those trips and, and have the fun. But unless you're a stud, 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 like a lot of those schools aren't waiting for you, and they'll they'll fill up. And that's to FSU's benefit. To be completely honest here, the longer some of these guys play the game and want to wait it out, the the more doors close for them. And Florida State is very happy to be one of those open doors for some of these players who are, you know, they're not, they won't end up in the top 100 eventually. Um, even if some, some places have them rated really highly right now, uh, but they'll be like top 150 type kids, which is absolutely a major boon to this program at this point in time. So I, I can see things trending up and recruiting in the right way. I, I also look, let's say it. Den Mullen has done an excellent job with Florida. There's also not that, not that much evidence that he's going to make them take the the next step. And they don't necessarily look like they're not recruiting. They don't look that close to recruiting on that Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, you know, potentially if you want to throw it in their LSU Clemson level. Is that fair? Like they, they're they just kind of in that next tier. And that, that tier is a lot easier to break into. That Bama, Ohio State, Georgia tier, that ain't easy. Let me, let me tell you one thing. If you're the head coach at the University of Florida and you're trying to break into that extra tier, probably wouldn't talk about coaching in the NFL during the offseason. That, that may restrict your ability to uh, resource or, you know, marshal all the resources that are necessary to uh, live in, in but the most elite neighborhoods of college football recruiting. Completely agree. I think that was pretty positive, man. Like you, you, you got multiple FSU commits talking to each other, convincing each other. You got players on the current team. Convincing player or convincing recruits to come up, which is a big deal. You definitely want your players to be your best recruiters. That's something that uh, when Jimbo had it cooking, his players on, on this team were excellent recruiters. When things started to get out the rails and, and he refused to fire coaches who clearly were, were past their prime and didn't get picked up elsewhere, like the last two, three years, the, the players were not as good of recruiters. So that's a pretty good sign right now. And, and I, I think that selling the process selling the vision for the program, not promising amazing results and and being realistic as far as having backup plans. Uh, you know, like FSU on the offensive line is not going after all four stars and five-star types. They're in it with, with Quayshon Sapp, right? They're in it with Dr. Richardson, some guys who have some upside. And they are after some dudes who are, are, are pretty good players too. 
but I'm not sitting here thinking, man, they are getting really positive comments from all these super studs, but are they really going to get them? And that was the thing. Back, back when Willie was here, you can't ignore what the kids say. And they were all saying incredible things about Florida State and were really, really fired up about it. And then the season started and they, and they just, you know, they faded off. Now, some of them, it was pretty obvious were, were not going to go. And they somehow missed that. Uh, just we'll put this in real quickly. Want to send a, uh, a shout out. Want to send a thank you to our Patreon supporters. Uh, in large part, thanks to them. Uh, we are, or I am coming to you uh, via a new microphone. And we're always trying to, you know, step up and, and keep progressing what we're doing. And uh, they certainly played a large role in this new piece of technology we're working with. So uh, if it sounds any different tonight, hopefully it sounds better. And a big thank to our Patreons for helping make that possible. Absolutely. Also, thank you very much to Legendary Home Loans. Legendary Home Loans has sold so many loans and refis that we have had to put in a new t-shirt order. And we have a special gift now. If you are a new uh, refi customer, because we realized some people already had the, the very cool Nolcast t-shirt. So now we have an additional item that is being shipped out to us and thus we will ship it to you. So big time thanks there. 844 FSU loan, legendary home loan. Shannon and Chad have supported us for a long time. It's been an awesome relationship and very, ha- very, very happy to have that continuing. So, all right, let's, uh, let's get back to it. I, I, I guess Melvin Jordan, I didn't see this. Um, I try not to be on Twitter a whole lot on weekends that I'm not at the camp or not covering an actual college ball game. Um, find that's better for work-life balance. But I, I guess Melvin tweeted that an edit, like a commitment edit, um, Melvin Jordan, that is a linebacker from, from Lakeland area. And uh, then they got deleted. And then there were some rumblings that, that uh, was it Denzel Moore, the, the 2023 kid was going to commit. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure neither of those guys right now are, are takes for this program. Um, so ultimately they, they are not, uh, they're not commitments at this time. Just, we got a couple questions about that. I figured we'd just address it and move on. Uh, pretty quickly. How was the, uh, before we get back to like more nitty gritty recruiting, how was the, uh, how was the conversation with, uh, with, with Norvell and the booster that, that had to go over pretty well. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to hear uh, Norvell was up here in the uh, Atlanta area for two nights. I think one was spent out uh, at Augusta as well in a, in a smaller setting, but uh you know, I, one of my better friends is somebody you've gotten to know uh, for a good amount of time, but then I consider him to be a pretty level-headed guy, not necessarily somebody that gets too up and down uh, on the, you know, worlds of college football. I, just, I mean, flat out, I'll say he was blown away by Mike Norvell. Uh, really just spoke. <laughs> it was, I mean, I mean, and that's what you want. That's what you want when you meet a, a football coach and you want to be excited. But I, I still think that, uh Maybe not so much like, oh, coach is a great motivator or whatever. What I, what I really find interesting here, Bud, is is I think it's a it's a good fit for at least for now. Uh, maybe this is different if Mike Norvell wins two ACC championships that he's not willing and and as eager to do some of the you know real granular uh, fundraising. But he's he's pretty aggressive about it. I mean, for a position that my opinion or for a program that needs a, a coach that's going to be willing to do a little bit more when it comes to raising money. And, uh, you know, maybe in the, in a perfect world would, would readily attack, uh, the subject matter. I, I think that's what you have at Florida state right now. I mean, you've got a guy that is, uh, 
by all accounts, the people that I spoke to, pretty natural in the setting, uh, comfortable. You know, sometimes at the in some of those pr- press conferences, you can almost give off like a little bit of a nervous energy or something like that. Maybe that's just a, a guy in season one at a program like Florida State after jumping up from from Memphis. But uh, I mean, again, I don't want to just sit here and uh, pump pump nothing but uh, you know state approved propaganda. But I I think. Florida State has uh, has somebody that's willing to do, uh, you know, willing to shake hands, willing to have conversations, and, and eager maybe even to do it uh, to raise money. And, and for where Florida State, the school, and the program is right now, that's a that's a hell of a good fit because they they really need somebody with that type of mentality. That's that's awesome to hear, man. For for sure. Is there anything they weren't sold on? Is there is there anything that really like really blew them away as far as anecdotes? Um, it, it said Norvell was exceptionally positive on, on, uh, McKenzie Milton and, and that's kind of McKenzie Milton. That's what you'd expect, but, uh, like just glowing in praise of uh, both what they think he's going to be as a football player. And from a cultural standpoint, I think, I think the, what it said was he's, he's just what this program needs from a cultural perspective. Uh, I think they really think they've got a, a dynamic leader and he was, you know, um, effusive in his praise um really pretty um pretty high on uh toe philly as well uh, really thought that that was a kid who uh showed some things but had the ability to uh mature physically uh in a in a manner that would only contribute to his game uh continuing to grow so i, I was you know taken taken back by that do you uh do you think that hearing that does it make you kind of curious as to their their take on DJ Williams like at, adding another running back to the roster or do you think that's more of hey maybe we need to use some of the current guys at receiver a little bit yeah I mean I, I think it's uh, that they I think they're going to use toe Philly in a lot of different ways and I think it's a uh, you know when you had Webb leave and maybe not fully sold on uh, everything there and particularly when you you know, the, the wide receiver, like you said, the wide receiver group is such a question mark that I think you're going to, I think you're going to have people that, you know, the general assumption as a position is running back, uh, be involved in, you know, a more, uh, more non-traditional ways. Uh, and I think that, you know, you'll leave lean pretty heavily on your depth at running back this year. I like it, man. Um, all right. What else do we have tonight? Probably have, is there anybody that, that he's still waiting like for the light to come on? I mean, I think they think the world of Travis J. Bud. I do, and I know that you know my understanding, and I don't claim to know the in and outs of, of everything that goes on in the locker room. Is that Jay maybe had like a disruptive year last year from from stuff that he just can't control? They think the world of the guy. They just you know it's still trying to still trying to get everything to click, and and when it does, I I think they the coaching staff may think that's the most talented player on the roster. I don't know. They haven't told me that, but that's kind of the general perception I've gotten from conversations for people, but still, you know, still waiting for it all to, to come together and, and click and, you know, be the player that Travis J obviously can be for sure. Nice, man. Okay. That's, it makes me feel pretty good. You know, I think so. I think so. You know, again, it's, it's, it's March, it's February into February. Um, you don't win. <laughs> you don't get to tack on a win at the end of the year for, for off season optimism, but uh, you know, for, for a program that's trying to go through this great transition, uh, at least you're starting to see some green shoots of recovery and you're starting to see some things that you can 
you know, legitimately be excited about and not just convincing yourself that, uh, you know, this coaching staff has found a, a batch of three-star prospects that no other coaching staff has and is going to develop them in a manner, blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, there's a lot of, lot, of, lot of good stuff out there on the horizon, it would appear. There's definitely stuff about the staff that I like, though, in terms of they did find ways last year. Even when they were doing stuff that didn't work, it, at least it, it made sense based on what we knew of the players or what we thought we knew of the players. So there, there's a lot of reason for optimism. We've said for a long time, this is going to be a long-term rebuild. And I think that is still the case. But there's reasons to believe now, like a little bit of tangible evidence. Look, it's, it's, it's spring recruiting momentum, okay? Take it for what it's worth. But at least that's some tangible evidence. You at least got somebody to say yes to you who you weren't going to get a yes from five weeks ago. And he's a pretty damn good player. That's that's pretty solid. I like the class they're putting together. I think they are doing pretty well at most spots. Uh, after after we thank one of our supporters here, I, I'll, I'll kind of go into some spots where I'm a little bit unsure of what they're going to do. And, and I have some names that I've been looking over that I think might might work pretty well for them. So we'll always thank our friends at Madison Social. Uh, we're recording on a Monday, but their uh, classic burger offered on Monday, I still think it's the best deal uh, in Tallahassee. So always have that in the back of your mind. And we don't, <laughs> I'll just say this, everything is, uh, is up in the air, but we, we have begun initial conversations with Matt that if something can be done for the spring game, uh, we'll, we'll certainly try to pair with, with our long-term partner and you know, look forward to bringing you guys some more details or uh, just hopefully getting back out there. Love to, love to interact with a lot of y'all and have that opportunity. And if it is feasible, if it's possible, uh, we will bring you more details and, and hope to see as many of you guys as possible. I can't wait, man. Um, by the way, speaking of getting on traveling, I will be at the uh, Under Armour Miami this weekend on Sunday. And I will also be at Elite 11 Orlando, which is coming up in March. And then I will also be at the uh, Underclassman Report Orlando. And I might swing up there to Under Armour Atlanta. Uh, so travel restrictions have been lifted a little bit if you're taking your own car and not uh, not doing the hotel thing. So that is going to be a nice long trip from Orlando to Miami and back in the same day after a nice kind of eight to five o'clock camp day. But hey, um, that'll be fun. And I'm I, I'm just I'm really excited to get back out on the road and see these kids, you know. And and you always default to the film, and I'd rather have the film than an in person eval because the film is in pads. But it's so cool to be seeing these guys in person as well because you do get a look at them in 3D that you normally just don't get. So one spot I kind of wanted to put it in focus tonight was the defensive tackle position. And that's the spot where FSU kind of struggled last year in recruiting. Now they got Shambray Jackson and they got Josh and both those guys we think will kick to the inside. And they, they should be pretty good at TT this year on the field, but they, they've certainly had a little bit of struggles with that recently. So given that, I think it's, it's really important that they do well there this year. And unfortunately, they have a lot of traction with other kids this year in the state of Florida and in the Southeast, but they don't have that much traction right now at the defensive tackle position. So I was thinking, okay, why is that? And is there anything they can do differently there? Odell's put a lot of guys into the league and, and is, you know, obviously a good developer. Part of it, though, is 
And I, I just don't think so that they're not going to get Walter Nolan, who was at IMG for a minute. He's from Mississippi. He's moved back to Tennessee. Like that, that's, that's kind of a, like a Bama Georgia type kid. You're, you're just not going to get in on that battle right now. If you don't have a Travis Hunter type connection, you know what I'm saying? Travis Shaw, kind of the same way out of North Carolina. There's too many schools around him who are further along in their rebuild um, that without a special FSU level connection, you're probably not going to see it. Gabe Dendy, who's at Lakeland High School and is the number five player in the entire country, uh, actually has a, a pretty special connection to the University of Oklahoma. So he's not one of these guys who, you know, grew up uh, grew up Florida and, and, and loving all the Florida schools. He's also, by the way, uh, a pretty accomplished MMA guy. So definitely somebody I would not want to fight. But like, you're probably not going to get Gabe Brownlow Dendy. So that's just I don't even think FSU made his. Is, is top 11, which is disappointing to them, I, I know, for that staff. So if you don't make a top 11, you're probably not going to make it. I know you didn't make Sam McCall's kind of pseudo top three, but top 11, if you can't crack the top 11, potentially difficult there, <laughs> I, I would think. You know, Anthony Lucas out, out in Arizona, I know FSU offered him, but I, I just don't really see, you know, see that one happening. Now, could you get something going with, with Brandon Cleveland? who's a D-tackle at, at Carroll Wood Day in Tampa. He's currently committed to Miami. Pretty nice player. He did tweet some uh, some interesting stuff uh, about, about noticing the McCall commitment and how FSU is rolling in recruiting. So, like you said, other recruits are taking notice of this. Uh, Daniel Lyons is a player out, out, of, uh, out of Homestead. I don't think FSU is really... I, I just don't think he's... that they're really all that much in play for him. You know, at this moment, um, I did consider putting in a, a crystal ball for him to Florida, but held off because I, I didn't think that the the source on that was strong enough. That's a lot of names you're not really in it for, and I'm not giving you a whole lot of names that you are in it for. So if, if you wanted to watch two kids, if you're one of those recruitment types out there, I got two names for you. The first is Felix Hickson out of Jackson, Georgia, which is you know pretty close by. Now, I did put in a crystal ball uh, to Virginia for him because Virginia has been on, on him for a long time, but I, I put a low, like a low confidence on that, and we'll see. FSU has offered Hickson. Um, they offered him in November. I don't think he's visited, but certainly a player that, that they're interested in. I, I think they should probably turn up the heat on him even more. Pretty smart guy and, and a nice player. The other kid is another dude out of Georgia. His name is Quintel Jones, Q-U-E-N-T-E-L Jones. I don't know if you watched him yet. Um, pretty violent. I'm not really sure how tall he is. This is kind of what I, what I led into this with, with wanting to get down there to Under Armour Miami and, and go to some of these spots and, and get a feel for how tall these kids really are. And I was talking to some college personnel guys today, not Florida State, not, not Florida State, and, and they, were, uh, they were saying the same thing. They're like, man, I really like the film. I wish I knew exactly how big he was, but he's he's pretty intriguing. So that that would be a, another guy that that I know some staffs are interested in. I think Florida State should probably, you know, take a take a harder look at him. You know, Peach County kid. That's that's one of Georgia's. You know, kind of you know, just a long-standing program. Not not going to fly under the radar uh, for too long. But that's a program that's kind of in the central part of the state. Would be um, somewhat. You know, Florida State won't be. We'll have a, a argument of geography or an element of geography to sell to a kid like that. So uh, interesting, interesting name to pop up on the radar. 
want to talk about running back real quickly? I yeah. know we got um, it's a kid out of Ware County that I believe Florida State's involved with, the Castellanos kid, and then uh, a teammate of McCall who's a you know pretty interesting looking running back prospect in his own right. So uh, Castellanos is pretty damn good. When they offered him, I was like, okay, that's got to be it's got to be as a running back. He plays quarterback for for his Ware County team. Typically, the guys that play quarterback, uh, but but don't project to play quarterback at the highest of levels, they they take a little bit longer to to get noticed at times because you you haven't seen them in that role. You you have to think about it and say, wait, this athleticism really projects well to another position. Not not, not that he couldn't play a little QB for you in a pinch. It's always nice to have somebody on your roster who could be an emergency quarterback. Blah 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 blah. Uh, but I do think that that he fits well for them as a running back. I've confirmed that's what they're offering him as. Also, somebody who can, who can catch passes out of out of the backfield. Ingram, I I think his film is very strong. I'm I'm a pretty big fan. I, I the thing is, is there a truly like elite running back in the state of Florida this year? Personally, I I don't even think. And I'm, you know, I'm on rankings council and I'm going through these. Like, I don't know who's your favorite running back nationally this year. It's not that great of a year. Yeah, no, there's no clear cut, uh, you know, uh, sure thing out there. Yeah, no, that's a that's interesting name. And then uh, I like I like I do like the Emmanuel Henderson kid, but mm-hmm. he's also from Geneva, Alabama, and uh, yeah, is probably not <laughs> probably not in play for you at this time because he's announcing in in twelve days. Like, who's the best running back in Florida this year? Who's actually from Florida? Like n- not counting Catron Allen, who, who's at IMG, you know, is is it Terrence Gibbs who tore his ACL at, at Winter Park? I think this is a spot that this staff and all the staffs in Florida, so Florida, Miami, et cetera, are are still waiting to figure out, like, okay, who who are the best backs in Florida? Is this just a a very very down year for backs in the state of Florida, or are there more guys who will emerge? Are there guys who haven't put their film out yet? That type of thing. Like I know they're going through box scores and looking at the newspaper clippings to look for dudes who, you know, had a whole bunch of uh, had a whole bunch of yards, but for whatever reason didn't have a whole bunch of film. And that they're 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 out there looking because, I mean, of the top running backs in in the country right now on the composite of the top sixty, you got three from Florida, and I don't think any in the top thirty. So that's pretty crazy. Running back is a spot where they're having to be creative. Th- thus, you saw the Castellanos offer. Uh, they also like the Glover kid, who is the teammate of of Sam McCall. Um, I actually like Sam McCall's other teammate too, who's not not who's a safety, uh, not a uh, not a running back. Um, and I, now that I said that, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, oh, Javante McClendon. I think he actually could play could play linebacker. Although I want to see a little more of him before I'm convinced he can play it you know, play that linebacker role for the Knowles. Uh, but like the Glover kid's interesting, man. I, I Given the current state of running back recruiting, if you want to take one, would you accept Glover's commitment? And would you would your opinion change if you wanted to take two in the class? Well, if you're taking two, I would accept his commitment immediately. Uh, if you're taking one, I would, you know, I, I would probably go ahead and do it, to be honest with you, just because I'd love to, Love to further enhance my presence in Lakeland, and you know I think he's a he's an interesting prospect. He's just, he's a kind of a big, 
you know, five, nine, 200 pound uh, kid who runs a little bit like, he runs a little bit like uh, Leon Washington when Leon wouldn't, you know, maybe, maybe when Leon was eating an extra plate of spaghetti or something like that before you saw lean Leon Washington there. Um, just real quick, nice single cuts, runs aggressively. Um, you're right. There is no, you know, banner name uh, in state. I think he's the third or fourth highest rated according to 247 when it comes to Florida running backs. Uh, yeah, I mean, a nice, nice uh, looking tape. I watched a little bit of it earlier today. Not anything that blows you away. Not somebody that you think, oh man, this kid's going to shoot up the rankings. Uh, but a really solid prospect who looks like he runs hard, and uh, I would think would would be a pretty solid addition. If I could take two, definitely. If I take one, I'd still probably at this point take Glover and call it a day. That's fair. Yeah, and you, you can always see what what else emerges later. Um, Another spot, by the way, in the state of Florida this year that so far is not that good. Receiver, man. Like, this is a weird year. I'm waiting for, for like, where are the guys who are, like, top 100 type players at receiver? I'm not seeing it. Hell, wh- wh- where are the guys in the state of Florida who are top 200 type, type players? I mean, Greg Gaines is 285 nationally on the composite. At, at, at receiver area on Knighton, who were lower than the composites on, and Greg Gaines, we have as an eighty-nine, which is a three-star. You know, Amarion Brown's a, a good player, but he's he's a ninety. I, dude, this is not a good year so far for receivers in in this state, and that's weird. Like, I think FSU is just based on what I've seen so far is doing the right thing, offering a lot of out-of-state kids, and I'm sure that's going to make fans kind of question it. I questioned it at first. I was like, wait, let me think about this. Who who would I offer? Because I had a conversation with a friend of mine who, who you know, and he's always like, got off Florida kids, got, got off Florida kids. And I, I agree for the most part, but also, who do you really like? Now, next year, the class of 2023, the state of Florida is stupid good for receiver. So if FSU can show some progress this year with the passing game, I got to say, uh, they, they have a pretty decent shot to have an excellent receiver class in 2023. The problem is they need to sign an excellent class of receivers in the 2022 recruiting class. And that's going to take some creative work and some turning over some stones and all that jazz. Because right now, I'm just not seeing a whole lot of, uh, you know, I'm really not, not seeing a whole lot of no doubt studs in the state of Florida at receiver. Uh, before we part tonight, uh, Florida State did pick up a 2024 commit, bud, and it makes uh, some small part of me die each time that we start talking about these, uh, you know, it's just crazy that that's where we are, but that's where we are, and uh, commitment nonetheless. That means he was born in 2006, if he's on grade Didn't level. need you to go that far, but <laughs> didn't need that. All right, so Cam Davis, I saw this kid at the Orlando Pylon event. He, in a word, is yoked. He's huge. Looks like he's been bodybuilding for, you know, since birth. 5'9". I would, I don't think he's 200, but he's not, he's not that, not that shy of it, right? Uh, But yet, like you look at a guy who has that build, you know, if you're built like a fire hydrant, you don't really expect him to move around quite like he does. And he moves really well for his size and for his age. He's also a top baseball kid. And uh, a local local prospect there, he, he plays on on Harrison Smith's uh, seven on team, which is which is the first time where I saw him, and that's that's a really nice get for them. 
look, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I have no idea how he's going to continue to develop. You know, he could, he could, he could be maxed out, right? Like, what if this is what he is and that's all he is? Okay. But you still take the chance on a kid who likes you a lot right now, who, if he keeps developing, keeps growing, could be really damn good. Yeah, I mean, I'm I really thrilled on these. He's a kid out of Albany, Doherty High School. Um, you know, if nothing else, Florida State is hitting the uh, hitting the high notes when it comes to you know some of the relationships that they're they're building, and you know some of the uh, some of the pins that they're kind of putting on the map uh, when it comes to some of these programs that are, are and areas. Now, Doherty's not some uh, super powered program, but establishing. Uh, presence there with Lee County and, and Albany and uh, you know you gotta gotta be able to lean on South Georgia some and Albany's about an hour away and that's uh I mean that would be that would be good to keep this kid's commitment for a multitude of reasons but yeah he does look like a I just sent you a photo in the chat he looks looks <laughs> like a fully developed fullback uh that's playing quarterback right now I mean I, I've yeah. went and watched some of his tape and it's uh it's you know it's fun uh, that that's I don't know what he'd ultimately play for you, but uh, that's a that's a fun prospect for sure. Um, apparently, he's like legit, legit at baseball. So we'll all have to see if if that turns out to be something. I, I I know that a lot of these baseball scouts don't typically care how good you are as you know as a freshman or as a sophomore because they really like they watch you, but because they don't have to recruit you, you know, they just have to sign you. They really just care like what you are as a senior and they like to see your development. But apparently to the extent you can be a major baseball prospect as a freshman, he he is one. Yeah. I see he's involved in that perfect game uh setup. And that is really uh having talked to somebody in the baseball world that's really kind of become the yeah, be all end all when it comes to prospect evaluation. But uh yeah, interesting stuff, man. Cam Davis name to add, uh class of twenty twenty four. And we'll certainly uh, keep you up to date with how his recruitment plays out over time. And there will be a lot of time uh, for that to, uh, to occur. No doubt. All right. Uh, I think that's it for tonight, right? May they all be like this, bud. May they all be like this. Exactly. May they all be like this moving forward. Where we got five stars, positive momentum, a lot of good stuff to talk about. Uh, like truly thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh you know, be a little bit of a different setup with the uh, last week's tacked on. Like Bud said, this is almost like a double album or something like that. But uh, certainly enjoy this or appreciate the support we've been able to enjoy uh, throughout the years. If you have time to give us a five-star review, always appreciate it. And uh, for now, it's been the Nolcast. We will be back with you shortly. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith. Music by Judson Wright and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.